Well, welcome to another Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and you know, during the uh, Super Tuesday segments uh, leading up to the election, one of the things that we are purposing to do here on the Bottom Line Show is not so much to elect candidates. I mean, obviously, want to give you as best information as you possibly can. Roger's recommendations will pop up early next year. Once we get, you know, I, I focus a lot on the propositions because of where uh, we are broadcasting to, the whole state. What can we have the greatest impact on? I don't always go with local elections per se, but guys like Craig Huey fill in the gap and Deb Withrow with I Voter Guide. And there are a lot of different, it, it's a team. It really does take a village to get that information shared. But it's been interesting as we've been talking about this issue of the campaign um, on the National Crawford Roundtable podcast and you know, what, what different opinions are of the uh, of the candidates and the people who are running. I, I, I'm intrigued by the fact that last week during the GOP debate, we saw the candidates kind of give their first opportunity to, um, you know, really be heard in one collective. You know, a lot of people have been hearing bits and pieces, sound bites, interviews, this, that and the other thing. And um, it, it was interesting to see who the winners were and the losers were, as it were. I mean, and I think uh, Ron DeSantis acquitted himself nicely, did a good job of presenting. Uh, Mike Pence got, uh, I think Jim Garlow described it as tepid applause. You know, there, there are certain lines that candidates will write in, like, you know, if I'm asked this question, I'm going to answer this way and or that way, rather. And then, it, you know, that's supposed to energize your base. There wasn't a lot of raucous, you know, rousings from uh, from the crowd with regard to anything the former vice president had to say. And then Vivek Ramaswamy, who is the Hindu guy, the young uh, tech entrepreneur, who is getting, a, he's kind of the Donald Trump of this year's election. Remember in 2015, 2016 on the campaign trail, Donald Trump you know, said, I'm running for president, probably as a publicity stunt. And then all of a sudden people took him seriously and he kind of had to go through it. Well, this time it's Vivek Ramaswamy who is saying a lot of things that sound very Republican. Some of them sound very libertarian. Uh, but I think more important than anything else, this is a guy who is speaking a language that a lot of millennials and Generation Z are listening to. Even the Christian Post went so far as to take a look at a recent uh, interview he gave to Tucker Carlson and said there are, you know, there are five takeaways that we found from this, uh, this conversation that we want to highlight. And I, I wanted to spotlight them here before I mean, kind of help us understand the millennial mindset why is this guy tracking so well with young people and i think he's he's tracking with a lot of folks i mean i john rush from rush to reason my our sister station klz here in denver for the denver people who are listening to kldc uh john and i both agree that the one thing vivek ramaswamy does very well is messaging he's very clear on what he believes he articulates it very well, even if I don't agree with him. You know, I don't agree with his abortion positions. I don't agree with some of the other things that he has said. But I appreciate the fact that he'll say, well, I believe this and this is why I believe it and actually give a cogent argument to it. Like, for example, he's joining the chorus of a number of people who are saying, you know, it's, it's interesting when you say, uh, I believe the FBI lied about 9-11 a lot of people would say, well, no, wait, come on. We all know what happened on 9-11, but we really, you know, do we? You know, when you look at what the 9-11 commission, you know, did and what the FBI knew, 
And you'll, you'll ask the question, okay, well, they couldn't possibly have. But then you see the Comey witch hunt of Donald Trump. Then you see, you know, how the Durham report got squashed. And you see the different c- cases where the FBI has not been truthful, the January 6th commissions. And all of a sudden you begin to ask the question, well, maybe we should revisit that conversation about why, what about the origins of COVID-19? What about, how about the massacre in Nashville at Covenant Christian School? And why is it that Audrey Hale, the girl who identified as Guy, who went in and shot up the that was three students and three uh, teachers on the Covenant Christian School campus, and yet you know, you've got elected officials, you've got police, you've got the media all saying that we want to keep this manifesto that she had a secret to protect the children and protect whatever. Well, maybe, just maybe, the media doesn't want that to come out because it is uh, pro-LGBT ideology, it's anti-Christian, and... The media doesn't want to have to answer for that. Another thing uh, Vivek Ramaswamy talks about is the fact that, as I'm quoting him here, we are on the cusp of, of a major economic downturn. We live under conditions that are deeply inverted. Now, this is a guy who, again, says, you know, the, he, as a tech entrepreneur, a businessman who understands the market, not unlike Donald Trump. He says, look, I mean... The rate of inflation is coming down, but he points out the obvious. Just because inflation only increased by 5% this year over the same period last year, if the same period last year increased by 11%, well, now you're up an aggregate 16% over two years. No one could sustain that and, and, and sustain that. There's a new report out that says in Manhattan, it costs you 122% more to live than the average basic means of what people have to live on. And Ramaswamy is of the impression that if the market is able to do what the market would ordinarily do to correct itself, the next year is just going to be a lookout. He also weighed in on the ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. He says there's no discernible national interest on the issue in Ukraine. I mean, obviously, there's some behind the scenes things there, but it's the Gen Zs and millennials that are going to have to go fight if the U.S. ever enlists. And it's important for us to understand where these people are coming from. And then, uh, you know, he he has the courage, actually, for somebody who's basically an abortion supporter, at least he has the courage to say, well, there's this cult-like mentality in the LGBTQ community. I mean, how refreshing is it to hear somebody say, yeah, I mean, there are some Christians who can do that same type of thing with Christian nationalism. So we have to be careful. Also, please understand that uh, one of the things that Vivek Ramaswamy brings to the table that America may or may not be ready for is the fact that he's Hindu. Unlike Barack Obama, who, you know, there were the rumors, right? You know, he's a Muslim and look out because we can't trust Muslims. Well, Barack Obama may be a Muslim. I mean, we have religious liberty in this country. I know he talks a great game about Christianity and the Christian faith, but, you know, you don't see the Obamas darkening the doorways of a lot of churches other than... Uh, campaign rallies at historically black churches in the South. And if Barack Obama were a Muslim, so what? I mean, well, so what? If he were a true and devout Muslim, then he would be saying death to America. But nonetheless, there are lots of Muslims in the United States who aren't. They're just, they're happy to be out of Iran and Saudi Arabia, and they're just trying to live their best life in Irvine. You know, I mean, that's the the way that, that door swings both ways. But basically, it's interesting. He 
Vivek Ramaswamy says, I call American society individuals who are members of these units we call families. Families are embedded in the substructure of this thing we call a nation, and the nation exists under the broader blessing of God. Now, for him, God means something totally different than it does for us as believers. But the reason why I think Vivek Ramaswamy's uh, campaign is interesting and must be watched and must be taken seriously is the fact that it's having a strong appeal with Generation Z and Millennials. And George Barna's research is telling us that Gen Z and Millennials are the ones who are leaving the church in droves. They are the least likely to have a biblical worldview. They are the least likely to uh, have gone through the whole church process and then have had that faith. Kara uh, Powell at Fuller Theological Seminary calls it developed. They, they're the least likely to have developed a sticky faith, a faith that actually stays with them. So how do we solve that problem? Well, obviously voting for Vivek Ramaswamy is not the answer. I mean, it's certainly not. But it gives us a little window into the soul of where millennials and Gen Z are. So how do we as believers who are in the greatest generation, the baby boom generation, Generation X, how do we help those who... Um, are coming to faith or maybe grew up in the faith and are coming to actual faith in their 20s and 30s make sense of the God that they've probably held at arm's length for quite some time. On the other side of this break, I've asked Dr. Daniel DeWitt to join me. Dan's a senior fellow at Southwest Baptist University in Missouri. He leads the Center for Worldview and Culture and teaches courses on theology, apologetics, and C.S. Lewis. Uh, He's the author of multiple books and his latest book, is called Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. We've got a link for that book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Daniel DeWitt joins me next as The Bottom Line continues. You know the old expression, a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, if you're an expectant mom and you go to a pregnancy health center that is in partnership with Preborn, one picture can say way more than that. And that picture I'm talking about is an ultrasound picture. Every donation that goes to Preborn goes to providing ultrasounds for women who are expecting children and they want to know what all of their options are. When you call 833-850-BABY right now, you give a gift of $28 that provides one ultrasound. But if you give a gift toward the purchase of an ultrasound machine, now that's a $15,000 investment, but every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts a minimum of 10 years. That's 2,500 ultrasounds available to women right now. Think of all the babies, thousands of babies' lives that will be saved by your donation to preborn right now. Call 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Make your best donation right now. $50, $100. Maybe you want to give $15,000. It's completely tax deductible. We've had a couple of bottom line listeners step up and do just that. 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn right now. Today on the Bottom Line Show, we're going to get into some of the Bible basics that are so very, very important for us to have conversations about, and especially for people who are might be new to the faith. And today, joining me on the program is Dr. Dan DeWitt. Uh, Dan has a, uh, his PhD as a senior fellow at Southwest Baptist University in Boulevard, Missouri, where he leads the Center for Worldview and Culture, and also teaches courses in theology, apologetics, and C.S. Lewis. And we're going to get into that a little bit in just a moment. But his brand new book that just came out a couple of weeks ago, I thought would be a good conversation starter for us here on the Bottom Line Show, because it deals with the idea of there are people who might 
be new to trying to make sense of who God is and his role in the universe. And sometimes the views that they have aren't necessarily complete. Uh, the brand new book is called Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Daniel DeWitt, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thanks so much, Roger. Great to be with you. Let's talk about this for a moment, because I was reading, I've been watching a lot of YouTube recently, where I'm seeing people from all different faith traditions, you know, whether it's Catholicism or Mormonism or, you know, whatever, people who are all trying to give an apology, a defense, if you will, for the faith. And it's amazing to me when you read the comments, how many people will say things like, gosh, I thought I knew this about God, but I really didn't. Or gosh, I thought I knew this about the Bible, but this dialogue really helped me. Talk about why it's important for people who want to make sense of God to understand, first and foremost, it's okay if your view isn't completely complete of him. Yeah, I think we could kind of think of in terms of two buckets. And so one bucket would be what I describe as bottom-up information. And that would be the kind of things that we think about God and we think about ourselves and we think about the world just from our where we're at, our address. And th there's a lot that we can learn about the world just from, from reflecting on our experience. There's a lot that we can learn about the world without consulting the Bible or any other religious writing. I mean, the fact that we're using technology today, um, yeah. you know, is not the result of, you know, turn to in your Bible to this book and chapter and you'll know how to do radio broadcasting and <laughs> utilize yeah. the internet. So that's sure. a bottom up information. Um, but if there's a God who has revealed himself, then that way, if there, if there's something beyond the material universe, then that would mean there's a real opportunity for top down information. So that would be the second bucket. And I, what I argue for in the book is that if there is a God, and of course I, I'm a Christian, I believe there is a God. And as a Christian, I believe God is personal. And it, because I believe God is personal, I know that because he's revealed himself to us. So we have these two buckets, the bottom up information and then top down information. Mm -hmm. And so what I argue for in the book is that both are important, but to quote C.S. Lewis, he said, Christians believe God has told us how to talk about him, that mm. the top-down information frames the way we should think about God. And to quote a um, contemporary poet, Andy Minio, who once said, God created you in his image, and he didn't ask you to return the favor. Mm. <laughs> and so That's we're great. often re-kind of thinking God from our own lived experience. And what I'm saying is we need to turn our attention to what God has told us about himself. Dr. Dan DeWitt is with me today here on The Bottom Line. His book is called Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I don't think it's a stretch, Dan, to, to say that where we are in the culture right now is we see declining enrollments in congregations and churches and more people maybe sampling kind of the synchristic uh, definition that George Barney uses of, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of this and a little bit of that, whether it's denominationally or even outside of the church. The idea that maybe the church went so focused on the ground up type of information mm -hmm. that we forgot about the top down. And now is a perfect time for the church to rediscover that top down relationship. So the bottom up fills in the gaps, if you will. Yeah, you know, one of the examples I give in the book is if the president of the United States sent you a notarized letter and it was delivered by Secret Service and you had every reason to believe it actually came from the president, whether you voted for him or like him or not, you would take that information very seriously. Right. Um, and you probably wouldn't take the liberty to edit that message. You know, if you were given a message from that level of authority and how much more would be the case if there's a God who wrote 
the universe, spoke the universe into being, who's communicated to us his design for the world, um, that we're under the authority of that. That doesn't mean we can understand it all. And I talk about some of that in the book, but we're not, at the end of the day, we're not God's editors. Um, God's already went to press and we're, <laughs> we're more like publicists. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, as we look at the way you've lined up this book, and I really appreciate it, the book Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God, which is up at thebottomlineshow.com. You and I both know a lot of folks who are, are skeptical about faith. And for those of us in the parent-grandparent world, statistically, we see that younger adults and even you know uh, older children are far less uh, certain of faith and, and things faithful than we were when we were growing up. The culture is, I mean, it's an anti-Christian culture now. So I think we've transcended the post-Christian culture. And yet the way you break this down in the book, I love the, the sections. You say, look, there's really three areas that we have to have the basics down in, and that's God, God's word and God's world. Um, kind of give us an overview, not that we have to do a deep dive here in five minutes, but um, as you outline the book and, and set things up for, to make it a bit more user-friendly, uh, talk about why it's important for us to really understand those three basics. Well, for several years, I taught literally hundreds of students in a class, an uh, introduction to theology class, and I covered these three big doctrines, and I would often write on the board um, a cloud for God, because that's a biblical metaphor of God throughout in the Old and in the New Testament, and Jesus's ascension, he's received into the clouds, which I think is this symbolic picture of God's presence that, you know, humanity is now, again, welcome into the presence of God. Um, something that has not happened since the Garden of Eden, which whole nother sermon we could do on that. What a beautiful, wonderful thing. But so that's where the cloud comes from. And on one hand, I have God's revealed something about himself in nature. Psalm 19, Romans 1, um, God's invisible attributes are clear in nature. And then so he's revealed himself in the book of nature. And then also, on the other hand, the book of scripture. And as I would draw that, I, I would draw an arrow from scripture over the cloud to us where we're standing out in the world and say, this is how we understand who God is from what he's revealed about himself. And through understanding who God is, we can understand who we are and understand his world and our place in it. Well, mm. it's, it, it's so simple. I mean, it's not easy necessarily to completely understand, but it's very simple when you get the basics. And I appreciate what Dr. Dan DeWitt has done in this book called Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God, because if you can literally paint a picture, you know, just draw one, or even if you're not really, for me, you know, stick figures, clouds, I, I couldn't get much further than what you just, just described. And I would need you to describe it for me, Dan. But I appreciate the, the fact that you've you've done this in such a way. What is it, uh, as you're seeing students that are coming your way uh, in seminary and, and wanting to understand more about theology, are they better prepared? Are they, are they active learners? How would you describe the younger generation that you're ministering to right now in the educational world? Well, you know, the, you mentioned Barna earlier, and his uh, research has shown that there's biblical literacy across the generational spectrum. You know, that it, it's, there is biblical literacy among younger people, but there, that's a it's really a, a problem, you know, that is throughout the church. Yeah. Um, but so what I'm finding that's really unique with this generation of um, young people, and I heard another leader put it this way, and I couldn't agree with it more, that they'll take a, a bullet for something that's clearly in the Bible. That if they're sold out for their faith, they will um, defend what they believe to be true and what they believe is required for faithfulness. But if it's not clear in scripture, it's just not going to be a priority for them. 
And so there's this whole set of kind of cultural um, values that certain generations have that aren't clear in scripture. And I'm just finding that young people are saying, look, I'm not at all interested in the additional things that aren't clear in scripture. But if it's clear in scripture, I'm finding that these young people are ready to dive deep in it. They want to understand it and they want to defend it. So you know, I'm really encouraged by that. Well, I, I'm encouraged to hear you say that too, Dan, because I realized that, you know, there are some pretty major issues that seemed to be clearly defined, not only in the church, but also in the culture uh, these days. Uh, they're, they're all coming into question. I'm talking about, say, gender, human sexuality, mm -hmm. things of that nature. And the fact that you're saying, look, the Generation Z, the younger crowd coming up, if it's clearly defined in scripture, they're with it. They, I mean, I, that's a pretty graphic description. They'll take a bullet for it. Yeah. So perhaps maybe the confusion in certain areas like that isn't so much the issue itself, but the way that we as their elders, their teachers, their instructors, mentors, guides, uh, maybe it, we're not presenting it clearly enough to them. Is that accurate? Yeah, and I think that there's also there's a great refining going on through and it's multi-generational where people are coming face to face with do they believe it or not? Right. Um, you know, am I going to um accept and live under the sexual ethic in the Bible? Um and so I think there's a lot of people that are saying, actually, I don't I don't believe that. And we could talk about that as de deconstruction. And there's a negative side to that, but there's also a very positive side of young people are saying, okay, this isn't always easy and it's not always comfortable, but I want to live this way. And that's really what I'm seeing. I get to teach students who are, um, have most of them have been really exposed to Christianity, but I, I regularly will have students who aren't really sure where they stand on belief in God. Some who will say, I'm definitely not a Christian. Most of them would describe themselves as Christian. But what I'm seeing is they're as they're coming into the realization of what Christ has to offer and who he is, the students who get that um, want to go all the way with it. And, uh, you know, then that's the picture that Jesus gave, of course, you know, if any man would come after me, let him um, deny himself, take up his cross and, and die to himself and follow me. And so I'm encouraged. I, I hope that parents and grandparents would be encouraged by that today. And even though there's a falling away, it's a great opportunity to say for someone to realize, oh, I never truly believed in Jesus. And now we could be really honest about what their next step might need to be. Dr. Daniel DeWitt is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Dan's brand new book is a must read for anyone, but especially for those who have younger people or newer believers in your life, might be someone in their 30s or 40s who's just now coming to faith. The book is called Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Dr. Daniel DeWitt is my guest, and we're talking about the faith of millennials and Generation Z and what we as a older, more mentoring generation could do to help them, especially when they are trying to make sense of God. And in many cases, they're not averse to having faith in Christ. Many young people grew up in the church and then kind of wander away from it. But sometimes in the deconstruction process, they began to realize as they put the pieces back together themselves that they actually had a more solid foundation of faith than they first thought, but they still have questions. And uh, there's some illustrations in this brand new book called Sketchy Views that will clarify the basics of theology and Christian teaching and thinking, and will also help with those worldview issues. Like we talked about the reason why uh, Vivek Ramaswamy's candidacy is so potent with Generation Z and with millennials right now, is the fact that even though he's a Hindu, he does speak about American values and biblical values uh, in ways that are 
uh, very clear and concise. I commend this book to you by Daniel DeWitt. Uh, you're going to enjoy it. If there's a young person in your world, maybe a young adult who uh, is part of your family that maybe grew up in the church and then wandered away, but they're still asking questions and they're still just trying to figure out the faith journey. This is a great resource for that. The book is called Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. And we have two copies, not one, but two copies that we're giving away today here on this Super Tuesday. 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, Dr. Daniel DeWitt, my guest. His book is called Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. You know, here's the thing that young people are figuring out and they're articulating us more than maybe we did or maybe we have with them. And that is, when you get right down to it, everyone has a belief about God. A lot of times we get stuck on the, you either believe in God or you don't. But the reality is, uh, to quote uh, the uh, great lyricist from the progressive rock band called Rush, uh, Neil Peart, their drummer, was also their lyricist and uh, Um, in a song he wrote called Free Will, he says, even if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. And that's where a lot of young people are when it comes to God. They'll say, well, I I don't have, you know, I I don't have a religion. I don't have a faith journey. I don't have a faith story. Well, by saying that, you do. Remember years ago when it was very popular among the atheist and agnostic crowd to get together on Sunday morning for a gathering and they would meet in a building somewhere and people would sing songs of hope and encouragement and then someone would give like a TED Talk type of message and they'd move on. They were trying to have church without God. But you notice how quickly that trend kind of came and went. And part of the reason why it did is because there's really no point in that. The reason we gather together as Christians to study God's word is to have fellowship and communion with him, to literally take Eucharist if, if that's what that meeting involves. When we get together on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night or a Wednesday afternoon or whenever in corporate worship, we are there for the purpose of worshiping the one true God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And as younger people have compartmentalized and syncretized their religion, a little buffet, if you will, Um, they're beginning to realize, hey, wait, it's either Jesus or nothing. God is all in all or he's nothing. But either way, you still have to make a decision. There's so many different ways to get God wrong. There's only one way to getting him right, but the way that we can present that to young people is it's a winnable war. Dr. Daniel DeWitt, my guest, Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God is the book, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. More of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. 
Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Dr. Daniel DeWitt is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and if you're not watching on My Hope Now, if you're listening on Terrestrial Radio or you're listening to the audio podcast, you need to go to myhopenow.com where you'll see uh, Dan and I having this Zoom conversation because Dan has the hippest haircut we've had on this program in quite some time, and I appreciate that. Dr. Daniel DeWitt, Senior Fellow at Southwest Baptist University in Missouri. Uh, he leads the Center for Worldview and Culture there and teaches courses on theology, apologetics, and C.S. Lewis. I understand. I mean, we'll sidebar here for just a second. Dan, you have a C.S. Lewis book that just came out for children. I, I do. I have for years taught classes on C.S. Lewis, and one time um, I've taught the class um, in England on a couple occasions, and one time actually taught the class in C.S. Lewis's house. Oh uh, my! But wow. I, which was just a remarkable experience. Um, had a Lewis scholar come over from Oxford University and, and give a lecture on Lewis. But I never really thought I would publish anything about Lewis. There's been so much written about him, and so I had just assumed I never would. And then, lo and behold, a B&H Kids, um, which is Broadman and Holman, right. uh, part of Lifeway reached out and asked me to write a children's book introducing young readers and the people who read to young children um, to C.S. Lewis, his life. And so the title of the book is C.S. Lewis, The Writer Who Found Joy, and it's mm. available at a bookstore near you. All right. You check that out online. We'll put that link up at thebottomlineshow.com as well. In addition to the book, Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. And of course, I mentioned that that book is linked at thebottomlineshow.com. The culture has done such a, well, I don't, I'll put this in air quotes for the My Open Now people, has done a really good job of making, getting God wrong everywhere we go. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people who operate as congregations under the evangelical banner do the same thing as well. And oftentimes you'll see people, uh, Dan, we were talking during the break about the number of people who will look at nature, look at the environment, things like that, look at the stars and, and say, hey, you know what? I think I kind of understand God, but I really don't. There's a way that you like to use those types of descriptions. Um, William Lane Craig comes to mind. Uh, talk, talk about how there are ways that we can take those things that people seem to be interested in and say, okay, let me show you what God looks like based on what you think you believe. Yeah, the, you know, there's there's a million ways to get God wrong, and, and there's a, a very narrow path to getting Him right. Yeah. So you're you're more likely to get Him wrong than you are to get Him right. Yeah. And however, if He's revealed Himself, I'm reminded of years ago was led a ministry at a secular um, college university, and had a two students I met with. One of them was a second generation atheist. His parents um, were raised him as an atheist. They were atheists. And after I shared with him some of the kind of arguments that I'll, I'll share in just a second, um, he said, you know, that seems to make sense. That, that seems there seems to be kind of a plausibility to belief in God. Um, he said, but, you know, you have all these world religions. Um, if there really was a God, why wouldn't he just come down and say this is the one true way? And I just stopped for a moment because it was such a great uh, evangelistic opportunity. Oh, yeah. And uh, the other young um, student, an international student who was sitting there, had been quiet the whole conversation. And he just spoke up and said, duh, Jesus. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, oh. I, I, I think of the Apostle Paul in Athens when he's talking to people and he says, look, you know, I think he commends them in many ways. You're very religious. Um, but I noticed you have this shrine to an unknown God 
And it was said of Athens that you were more likely to meet a God than a man because mm. there were so many statues Somebody, yeah. in the city. And, and, and Paul told them, you know, he's not far from any, and any of us, he, you know, he commanded the time where we would live, the places we, we would live that we might reach out and grasp him and find him. And so the, the creative world, God has made this world in such a way um, that it points to him. And one of the arguments that I like that you reference, William Wayne Craig, um, refers to this and has written a ton about it um, as the Kalam cosmological argument. And in a nutshell, it means this. If the material universe, the the, the cosmos, um, that could be described as time, space, matter, and energy, if it had a beginning, um, as a lot of scientists will gladly affirm that it had a beginning, and I'm reminded of a, there's a book years ago by a NASA scientist, um, I forget his name right now, um, but he was a skeptic, and the title of the book is God and the Astronomers. And he says in the book that the surprising thing about, among scientists who don't want to believe in God is that they refuse to follow the evidence to the fact that the universe had a beginning. And he points out to people like Einstein, who were who were very reluctant to accept that the universe wasn't eternal, um, because the implications of that would be then there's there's something on the other side of this mm -hmm. material world. But if matter had a beginning, then that means there was something outside of matter that brought it into being, something mm -hmm. immaterial. If energy had a beginning, that means there's something outside of energy, something that's all powerful that brought energy into beginning. Um, if time had a beginning, there's something outside of time, um, something eternal that brought time into being. And if space um, had a beginning, then that means there's something that is without spatial limitations, or features. In short, this argument shows that if the time, space, matter, and energy universe had a beginning, that it looks like it's an eternal, um, all-powerful um, being who brought the universe into being. And so that's that's what Paul tells us. The universe is pointing us. God's invisible attributes are clearly seen in what he's made. But what we need is for God to then go beyond just a universe that points to him, but to tell us what he's like. Um, to just come down, as that student said, and tell us the one true way. Dr. Daniel DeWitt is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And I would imagine, Dan, that you also had in mind the person who may be a seasoned veteran of the faith, 40, 50, 60 years walking with the Lord or more, who's asking questions like, how can I be sure? Can I, I, I want to make sure that I, I'm not heading down the track. I still remember the... Uh, the Palm Sunday service uh, years ago at my dad's church. He was a choir director at a Baptist church here in Southern California. And a guy who'd been a part of the church 45 years came up to him after they'd done a big musical presentation on Palm Sunday. And he said, okay, so the Passover, that's when the angel of death passed over, right? He said, yeah. He goes, wow, I've been going to church my whole life. I never knew that before. And we just kind of went, Wow. How do, you, how do you sit in a church that is professing faith in Christ church and not get that? But I realize there are a lot of people who might have a lot of uh, rings on the old tree there that don't necessarily have the basics. Take the last 90 seconds of our time together here and, and talk about, Dan, how this, the beauty of what you've written here is that for someone who's a brand new believer who wants to make sure they get got right, you've given them the tools. But for somebody who has been you know, a little grizzled in the faith a little bit, might be looking at the world around and saying, hey, the church doesn't look like what I think it should be, that we could still know that we know the basics as well. Yeah, I think the the greatest certainty that we can have comes through the testimony of the Holy Spirit 
inside of us as believers. And we experience that, at least I've experienced that more times than not in reading scripture and allowing God to speak to me through scripture. To quote one Christian leader who said, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read the Bible out loud. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, my encouragement would be let's come back to scripture let's be like the bereans the group to whom paul said that they were more noble because they tested the scriptures and let's do an exercise perhaps that i have my students do which is start with the bible and for example the book of genesis genesis 1 and 2 and write down only things that you could defend right from the text and then Mm -hmm. you might be surprised to find that you're holding on to some beliefs that aren't necessarily clearly in scripture Mm-hmm. Boy, that's powerful. And uh, what a great uh, exercise for not only students, but those of us who've been uh, walking this road for a while to actually do. Dr. Daniel DeWitt, the book is called Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. And we've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dan, thank you for the, the re- research that went into this and the heart and passion for this. We'll let, we've also want to remind our listeners that the, uh, what was the name of the C.S. Lewis book again? For kids C.S. Who got that Lewis, up? yeah. C.S. Lewis, the, the writer who found joy. Okay, both of those books for, by Dan DeWitt linked up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dan, great to get to know you. Thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Thanks so much, Roger. Boy, what a fun conversation and what, what an important topic, a good dialogue to have. And thanks again to uh, Dr. Daniel DeWitt for joining me today here on The Bottom Line to talk about that sketchy views, those sketchy views that uh, believers have, oftentimes in the millennial and Generation Z generation, not all, but many, of uh, just how do we make sense of God? How does he work in our lives today? Um, does he you know, have complete sovereignty or is he just kind of like that uh, unlimited gift card that has no, uh, has no c- closing balance on it? You can just swipe it whenever you get into a jam. If you have young adults at home, if you have young adults in your world, I'll tell you a personal story here in just a moment. But first, I want to remind you that we have not one but two copies of Daniel DeWitt's book, Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God, to give away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Crystal standing by, ready to take your calls. Um, if, if we're honest, I got a birthday coming up this Friday. I'll be moving into officially retirement age, so I'm not retiring, not by a long shot, but 62 is when a lot of people are able to take that, uh, you know, start taking the pensions and social security and whatnot. But I'll tell you what, um, you know, if if we want to be honest with ourselves, that means we have kids who are in their late twenties, early to mid thirties. And all of us would be lying if we didn't say, you know, there was a season, there was a point when my son, my daughter, whomever, went through a season of questioning, a season of challenging their faith. Um, I have three biological children. Lisa has three biological children. Between our six kids, all six have been baptized. And I would be, I would be remiss if I didn't say it. there's always been a point since we've been together where at least one of them was in rebellion. I think that's the, the number. We've got one and a half in rebellion right now. <laughs> You know, but then there are others, you know, the, the some of the best and the brightest who are living really good, best lives now, who basically said, not going to church. I, I'm in a Bible study. That's fine. Um, it's not that big a deal. I'm good. And to have that kind of mentality, you know, you realize that there comes a point where someone is going to say, okay, I, I, I want to, I've got the basics down. I don't necessarily go, need to go a little deeper. 
many young people are highly overly educated in the areas that they were important to them for their job, for example, for their career. But when it comes to theology, they're like, hey, I go to church on Sunday, we sing some songs, pastor gives a good message, um, I find a Bible meme online every now and again, and that's the extent of my spiritual growth. And it's really incumbent upon us, and it's hard when you've been doing this for years with that one kind of semi-prodigal kid. It's not the one who went way off the deep end, just the one who's not really walking the path right now, but shows up every now and again. If you've had those seasons, yeah, it can be frustrating. But sometimes maybe it's just not so much a question of a lack of belief, but just kind of a sketchy understanding. And use a resource like this to reconnect the dots. Uh, sketchy Views by Dr. Daniel DeWitt, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God. Two copies we're giving away right now at 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. As we continue, a story about... Uh, uh, watching out for that pitch, the sales pitch that can eventually lead to uh, destruction. And as evil is becoming more prevalent in the world, we're going to see evil that masquerades as good and godly. And woe to those of us who do not have the discernment to tell the difference. Uh, that cautionary tale coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and my thanks again to Dr. Daniel DeWitt for joining me for a conversation about uh, the beginner's mind to making sense of God. His book is called Sketchy Views, and we have two copies of the book we're giving away today, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. Um, a cautionary tale for anyone who has ever engaged in ministry activity overseas or mission work. I uh, spent half of my life in a church that was very mission focused. We always had anywhere between five and 10 missionaries that we supported on a regular basis. We worked with local mission groups, uh, outreaches for uh, women's shelters and homeless shelters. And um, you know, it, what was the one, the term that we heard recently that kind of made it, made us, shake our heads uh, experiencing a season of un being unsheltered that was the that no one wants to say homeless it just has such a stigma to it but unsheltered somehow sounds a little better anyway if you've ever done any work and you know the missionary comes from out of town and they, you, they you've seen the picture up in the narthex of your church sanctuary and they're coming for the potluck dinner and they're going to show a slide presentation of what they've been doing. And oh, by the way, we pass the hat at the end to get some extra support for them. That's part and parcel of what happens with missionaries. But be honest, if your church is not actively engaged with missionaries, if you don't have members of the congregation that actually travel to those parts of the world where these missionaries are doing their work, if you're not getting, you know, now with social media, if you're not getting Facebook live chats or Instagram videos or TikTok reels or whatever to show, hey, this is what's going on. I mean, what, the, the proof is definitely in the pudding when you have a group of people. We've got, uh, at my former church, a number of folks who work in education, uh, during their summer, they've got time to go do a vacation Bible school. And well, there's one group that just got back from Rwanda. Um, other groups have gone to places like El Salvador, uh, Peru, Bolivia. I mean, just all sorts of different places and have been there on mission assignments. So if someone from one of those organizations shows up at that congregation and says, hi, I'm here and we're passing the hat, then you're, you're going to believe them. 
right? When the folks from the Gideon Society show up and say, hey, we're all volunteers and our job is to get copies of God's word, um, the Gospel of John, maybe some other resources, printed materials that we put into hotels, but also into prisons and things like that. You've been to enough hotels with Gideon Bibles there where you know it, it's, it's, not, it's not wrong. But the Eternal Revenue Service is now after a guy who they claim has been receiving donations for uh, mission work that ostensibly has been doing missions into the Asian lands, specifically in China. And apparently this guy, his name is Gerald, excuse me, Jason Gerald Schenk of Georgia, he's 45 years of age, has now been named a fugitive by the Internal Revenue Service. Um, he has been soliciting donations for a Christian ministry organization um, to help in this China missionary work. He started in April of 2010. Uh, it continued, the work did for, through July of 2019. He posed himself as a missionary and then solicited donations, the idea being that they would be producing literature in Chinese and distributing the Christian books and also Bibles in areas all throughout China. Very worthwhile, noble cause. And in all honesty, no one expects you when you're doing something like that to come back with tangible results like, hey, Beijing is now a Christian city or this, that, and the other thing. Um, but here's the thing. Sometimes people in their best intentions will set up an organization, they'll say that this is what the organization is for, and then the government gets involved and next thing you know you find out this isn't legitimate. This man, Jason Gerald Shank, actually set up a shell corporation. He set up several of them. And the Shell Corporation is kind of a slang term for um, a, a corporation that doesn't exist. It's a name. It might have a website. Uh, it, it, it looks like it's a legitimate business, but it actually is not. He uh, set up a, ver a variety of different Shell Corporations. Um, there's one that's registered in North Carolina called Shanklin LLC. And the whole purpose was he's a missionary. You make a donation to his ministry. And it's tax deductible to you. And then the money is going to, you know, uh, print this literature for uh, the Chinese to read and receive. Apparently, a number of faith-based charities and individual donors um, were more than willing to lend money to this guy or to invest in the kingdom. Uh, his big targets, and this is so sad, was he targeted the Amish and Mennonite communities based in North Carolina and Ohio you know, the simple, the plain. Um, he set up a couple of different charities and one organization and its donors provided $22 million for what they thought was going to printing of Bibles and printing of Christian literature. Another organization had nearly $10 million donated. But then according to this 10-year IRS study, they noted that instead of collecting the funds and for the claim mission and giving it to said mission, Mr. Shank allegedly used the donation money for his own personal financial gain. Now I have to add something in here as a caveat before we go any further. And that is if you've ever donated money to a nonprofit organization, we talk a lot about preborn here on the Bottom Line Show. Preborn is really an anomaly in this sense. When you make a donation to preborn, every penny you donate, we talk about ultrasound research and we're either collecting money for ultrasound appointments 
or we're collecting money f to uh, purchase another ultrasound machine. The way preborn is set up, every penny that is donated to preborn for the purpose of ultrasounds goes to ultrasounds. They have a whole separate product category where they raise money for covering their uh, administrative costs for the building leases or purchases if they're buying for other equipment for other you know for paying their taxes and stuff like that they, they fundraise separately for that so when we come on the air here and say when you give a 28 dollars donation to preborn this has never happened in the history of bottom line show when you donate 28 dollars to preborn all 28 dollars goes to ultrasounds they fundraise separately to pay for their advertising bill it doesn't come out of here. Sometimes we've had ministries that have a 92, 93% success rate with regard to their donations being used for the actual mission. Preborn's 100%. Of the 40 plus thousand dollars we've raised this year, all 40 plus thousand dollars is going either to purchase ultrasound machines or to provide ultrasound appointments. So I say that to say this. If you haven't donated to Preborn recently, or if you haven't donated ever before, it's a sure thing that every penny you donate, when Dennis Wilson put up his $7,500 match for a, uh, an ultrasound machine and you donated the other $7,500, we got that $15,000, every penny went to buying that ultrasound machine. You can donate with confidence with Preborn. 833-850-BABY is the number to call if you'd like to make a donation right now. I highly recommend. A $28 donation covers the cost of one ultrasound exam. 140 does five. 280 does 10. You can do the math from there. 833-850-BABY or click the banner for Preborn at kbrightradio.com and make your best donation. So we have this unscrupulous guy in uh, Georgia who has done $30 million worth of fundraising over a 10-year period and took all of the money, not one penny, went to any sort of missionary work. Wait till you hear what he spent the money on. <laughs> That's coming up next as the bottom line continues. You're a Christian who's been injured, so you need Christian attorney Stephanie Cover of Cover Law to fight for you. With Stephanie, it's not just a routine legal process, it's a spiritual battle. She understands that a legal fight involves more than flesh and blood. It means confronting principalities and powers, and that's why she consistently prays with and for her clients. She forms long-lasting relationships with her clients, just as you would expect from someone who engages in spiritual battle alongside another believer. Praise for Stephanie pours in through cards, thank you texts, and letters from clients who thank her for checking up on them, coming to see them in the hospital, praying, and even finding alternative care when current care is inadequate. Inspired by Jesus' command to love one another, Stephanie uses her skill as an attorney and knowledge of insurance processes to fight for your completeness and healing. Don't wait any longer. Contact Stephanie Cover today at kbrightradio.com slash cover and let her take up your spiritual battle. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. Roger Marsh here and uh, still taking your calls. The last segment here to take your calls for the uh, two books that we're giving away from Dr. Daniel DeWitt. Sketchy Views, A Beginner's Guide to Making Sense of God is the title. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. Eight hundred two two seven five two seven eight is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Um, the Internal Revenue Service hunt manhunt now for Jason Gerald Shank of Georgia. He's forty-five years of age. He's a fugitive. 
Uh, apparently, between April of 2010 and July of 2019, Mr. Shank set up a couple of so-called nonprofit organizations for the purpose of encouraging people to donate to these organizations for the purpose of printing Bibles and Christian literature for China. Instead, he raised over $30 million and spent it all on himself. So Preborn spends all of the money that they raise for ultrasounds on ultrasounds and ultrasound machines. But Michael Shank, or Jason Shank, rather, uh, takes all the $32 million total he had, and he used a million dollars on a sports gambling site. He spent $850,000 uh, on a privately held nuclear energy company buying some equity shares there. He spent $4 million on 16 life insurance policies in the names of other people. Bought a million dollars worth of diamonds, gold and precious metals. He bought some stock. He made $7 million of payments to the company that ran his family farm and paid off over $820,000 in credit card debt. The uh, companies, by the way, uh, Shankland LLC, Morningstar Ministries, Connect, Connect Asia, uh, Autumn Vale Group, BCB Limited, Heartland Plantations, and Global Paradigm. 13 counts of concealment of money laundering, 21 counts of money laundering involving transactions greater than $10,000, one count of failure to file a report of a foreign bank account, and three counts of international uh, concealment of money laundering, four counts of wire fraud. Be careful. Be very, very careful when someone comes up and says, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, and I'm raising money for this project. Because if they are legitimate, then there will be fruits of their labor that you can see. This is why in scripture we read about bringing the first fruits of the crop as the tithe from the harvest. God wants to see the fruit. Someone raising this much money and not bearing any fruit is just a recipe for disaster. And this is part of the reason why young people and millennials especially are so skeptical of the church because they see this type of stuff happening. We'll put this cautionary tale up at thebottomlineshow.com. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, Rabbi Schneider and Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next. Uh, as we continue, a very special, interesting uh, case involving a political uh, operative who's also a pastor, who's also under investigation because of bad business dealings and also uh, an interesting way of him accounting for his taxes and his pastor's salary. The strange and troubling case of Senator Raphael Warnock coming up next as the bottom line continues. Well, welcome back to this Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show, or welcome to this Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show if you're just joining us. I'm Roger Marsh. By the way, don't forget, the Bottom Line Show is heard Monday through Friday, 3 to 4.30 p.m. Pacific time, 4 to 5.30 mountain. And uh, that's when the live edition of the program airs on terrestrial radio. Uh, the podcast version of the radio side of what we do is up at thebottomlineshow.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and all the other podcasting places you might find us um, shortly after the program being uh, posted, as it were. In addition, many of the interviews that are conducted here for The Bottom Line Show are conducted via Zoom for our uh, myhopenow.com uh, video channel. So if you had to have that uh, that great interview that uh, was conducted by, you know, 
featuring whomever. Not all of them are on video, but uh, many of them are. Like when I talked with Dr. Meg Meeker last week about strong fathers, strong daughters, we had a nice little 10-minute Zoom chat. And so the video for that is up at myhopenow.com. You can watch along with uh, listening. And sometimes the watching is fun. If people are interested in the bottom line show, we had a situation happen actually that day. Uh, it's never happened before, to my knowledge, where we had multiple calls. We had five books to give away of uh, strong fathers, strong daughters. And everybody who won was a first-time caller. Uh, there are, you know, we have so many people who have been with us for, uh, since the word go. So many people who, you know, feel like Tamara and her kids are a part of the family. You know, people who are getting to know Crystal and, and Joel and, and how encouraging it is to have that uh, kind of connection. And we're grateful that you feel that way about us. We feel that way about you, too. But it's interesting to, to see how many people are calling either they've listened for years and years and just decided to call for the first time, or literally we get calls like this every week where someone says, I was, we had a caller um, lives in the Bay Area and she was house sitting for a friend here in Southern California. And she literally, while the friends were out on vacation, they said, here, you can stay at our house. We'll give you a little something for you know your time but take her car, you know, do whatever you want to do. So she got in the car right around three o'clock and it turned out that her friends were KBRT listeners. And so she started listening and went, wow, this is incredible. And oh, you're KBRT. And, oh, and you're on KCBC. I can listen to that when I get home. And so she called and basically gave us her mailing address as she wound up winning something. But she said that it was her first time calling and tuning in. And so it was interesting that she called in on the KBRT line but her mailing address was in the KCBC area. So it, the stories of the people who are reaching out to us are just phenomenal. And I'm just so grateful for everyone who does reach out. I'm glad that we're uh, able to play a small part in having an impact on what you do. Um, one of the keynote highlights of the bottom line show for me is being able to get to literally the bottom line of the issues, what's important, what's not. We have become such a, uh, I, I want to say five miles wide and a centimeter deep as opposed to that uh, an inch deep and a mile wide where people used to know a little bit about a lot of different things now we know even less about way more and so getting to the bottom line means that we have to do more than just say I like that politician I don't like that politician and not really know why or I like that law or I don't like that law and not really know why and so today here on Super Tuesday, we're going to take the final half hour of the broadcast and take a look at a guy who I believe is of interest to us as Christians because he is an ordained minister, because he is a pastor at one of the most historic churches in America, and he has a couple of different charges coming up against him now for misappropriating funds and not being completely honest. And it speaks to a part of pastoral ministry here in the United States where regardless of your political affiliation, if there's a question about this type of stuff, we need to be mindful to always be ready to have an answer. Uh, Democratic uh, Senator Raphael Warnock from Georgia uh, was under uh, our friends over at Ministry Watch were paying attention to a charity that was affiliated with him. That is now a subject of uh, inquiry by the uh, Georgia Secretary of State. It's the Ebenezer, he's the senior pastor at Ebenezer uh, Baptist Church and works there part-time because he's in Washington, D.C. as a senator the rest of the time. But the, uh, the Ebenezer Building Foundation uh, is the subject of the inquiry because the uh, Secretary of State Securities and Charities Division sent a letter to the uh, Building Foundation 
uh, last fall, actually, questioning whether it was violating the legal requirement that charitable organizations in the state be registered before they solicit and collect charitable contributions. The law also requires that the charity file a financial statement. Now, you know, I'll be honest with you. That just sounds like standard operating procedure anywhere you go. How could you possibly say, I'm a nonprofit organization, give me money, and you can have a tax, uh, uh, a tax benefit without having the proper filings? I mean, the Internal Revenue Service gives nonprofit organizations the uh, designation 501c3, which means you now qualify as a nonprofit organization. You file the necessary paperwork. You've established a board of directors. You've addressed the issue that your intent is not to generate a profit. The whole idea of an NPO is to say that the money that comes in gets redistributed to the different charities that we're raising for. I mentioned in the last half hour about how our friends at Preborn do such an excellent job of that on the fundraising side. They have administrative expenses, of course. They got to pay the lights and the electric bill and salaries and taxes on that and things like that. And they do a separate fundraising campaign just for that. So when they go on the radio and they purchase airtime on a radio station like ours or on the National Crawford Roundtable for the purpose of raising funds, all the money, they've, they've raised money to pay for the advertising. So all the money that is collected literally goes to the ultrasound machines. It goes to the technicians who are running the uh, ultrasounds. Having had a couple of daughters who've had a couple of ultrasounds the past year, uh, those are big machines. They're pretty pricey. If you go to a major hospital, I'm sure that hospital paid a ton. I've seen some even faith-based organizations saying that they needed anywhere from sixty to seventy thousand dollars for a uh, for an ultrasound machine. And our friends at Preborn can purchase one for fifteen grand. But all the paperwork signed, all the documentation is in place. It's all on the up and up with the Internal Revenue Service and with the FTC and other places. So the Ebenezer Building Foundation with Ebenezer Baptist Church apparently was violating Georgia state law. Georgia state law, there, 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 there was a piece of legislation passed called the Charitable Solicitations Act of 1988 that basically said a nonprofit organization in that state has to be registered with the state before they could collect charitable contributions. So if you are a nonprofit like Preborn, for example, and you want to solicit funds in the state of Georgia, the state of Georgia says, we just require you to register your charity with us so that when people start making donations and you file your taxes, because nonprofit groups have to file taxes too, they have to prove that they didn't operate a for-profit business. If a nonprofit organization takes in more money than they spent on expenses, then at some point they become a for-profit business and you can't operate as a nonprofit anymore. But the fact that, and of all places, Ebenezer Baptist Church and the started an Ebenezer Building Foundation and why they did, not only why did they not register but why, But then when they were questioned by Ministry Watch and other people, and uh, they, they chose to not comment. The National Legal and Policy Center is a, a watchdog organization that takes a look at this, and they've actually filed a complaint with the uh, foundation, with the Internal Revenue Service Exempt Organizations Division. The complaint says that Ebenezer has failed to comply, you know, and... and <laughs> 
basically they, the the whole idea is they they the only organization that is attached to this collaborative is Ebenezer Baptist Church. Apparently, they want to get some money from the uh, housing grant program in Georgia. They were looking for $5 million in funding to rehabilitate a building that was part of the church. They say it was to help the poor and vulnerable achieve self-reliance. 96 units that have been serving the chronically homeless since 2007. But the paperwork wasn't filed. And so the question is, if this is what you're claiming, and we could see the fruits of your labor, why not just go ahead and, I mean, file the paperwork? How hard is that? But that isn't the first time that the church has tried to skirt around an issue. And again, this is a let your yes be yes and a no be no with regard to Ebenezer Baptist Church and their pastor, Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock. On the other side of this break, is it possible that, Senator Warnock has been bilking the IRS and his congregants out of over $100,000 a year. We'll take a look at that claim coming up next as the bottom line continues. You know, I'll never forget the moment I met my grandson, Isaac. It actually wasn't in the delivery room. That was the first time I held him. But the first time I actually met Isaac was when I went with his mother to her ultrasound appointment, and the ultrasound technician showed us a picture of that eight-week-old baby in the womb. Uh, you know, I encourage you to contact Preborn right now and make a donation to provide that same experience for another family. Maybe there's someone in your family who's expecting a child right now. They've had the ultrasound. You've seen the picture. You've heard the heartbeat, and you think, wow, how can I bless someone else. Studies show that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic and see that ultrasound either choose to become mothers and raise the children on their own or release the child for adoption. It cuts the risk of it cuts the rate of abortion dramatically. But your donations are necessary right now to get more ultrasound machines into preborn health clinics. Give a gift online when you go to kbrightradio.com and click the banner that says preborn. Cute little baby there wrapped up in a blanket. Or give a gift over the phone. 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY, that's 833-850-2229. Call Preborn, make a donation. Every ultrasound machine could do 250 ultrasounds per year, so give a gift right now. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, a little analysis, balance, and clarity here. And again, I share this as a cautionary tale for anyone who is in the pulpit, who wants to run for office. Now, again, you'll hear me often and with great passion commend men and women of the cloth for wanting to enter the fray and run for city council, school board, you know, whatever position God is leading you to do. And I wholeheartedly recommend it. We need godly men and women to run for these positions. The further up the chain you get and you find guys like Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Tim Scott in the U.S. Senate, I think of Virginia Fox, one of the uh, members of the House of Representatives who uh, was talking about the what she perceived to be the Christian influence on the House and Senate floor uh, in a book that she wrote called God is in the House in parentheses, and he's also in the Senate too. Um, when she was on the program, I asked her, why is it that we have such division and why is there not more unity among the believers there? And she said, oh, there is. And I said, well, that's not what it looks like in the reporting. And people who do take these positions have to understand there is going to be scrutiny. And for anybody who runs, I mean, you look at the case of uh, Senator Raphael Warnock from Georgia. He's the pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church in uh, 
in, in Georgia as well. I mean, this is Martin Luther King country. He served as senior pastor there from 2005 until his election to the U.S. Senate in 2020. He has since moved from full-time pastor to part-time pastor for, I mean, obvious reasons. When you're a senator, you can't be in the pulpit every week, and you're obviously going to be in Capitol Hill, so you can't be in Georgia working with uh, uh, constituents and things of that nature. But there's a very interesting situation that happened uh, in the case of Senator Warnock, and he's certainly not the first one to have this come up. But what makes his, uh, his case interesting is where the outside compensation did come. As a member of the United States Senate, he earns a salary, I believe, of $174,000. I know that's the salary in the, uh, in the House of Representatives. And, um, and so that's you know, t- typical for um, uh, w- a member of the Senate as well. But the Senate also has rules on how much outside income you can earn. You don't, you see the memes that say, how is it that Nancy Pelosi's made $174,000 a year for the past couple of years, but her net worth is $20 billion? I mean, how did that work out? Well, obviously she's married and her husband has a business and you know she's not being compensated directly that way. Uh, it would be horrible to think that a senator could make $175,000 a year as a senator and then score an extra half a million dollars a year from special interest groups. Um, but let's not be naive, brothers and sisters. You know that that temptation is there. We have to acknowledge the fact that not only is the temptation there, but there are many who find creative ways with their accounting to make sure that the monies that are coming their way aren't direct compensation. Now, that means it could be coming through a corporation. Uh, There was one ministry leader years ago who had been uh, convicted on the the federal racketeering laws. His crime, quote unquote, was he was blocking the entrance to an abortion clinic. And he wound up with a judgment for several million dollars on his permanent record. And so what his uh, organization did to rally around him was he left the church he was pastoring. He became part of an organization uh, that was a nonprofit ministry and the ministry used donated funds to help cover his expenses. They uh, provided a car for him that the ministry owned. His wife was able to earn income, but he wasn't because the first million or two that he would earn would be um, garnished to pay this fine. So to my knowledge, to this day, he still has that judgment against him, but through creative accounting has been able to sustain himself and make a living and, and do things on the up and up. So it, it's not like something like this happening to a uh, man of faith. If this is the way the laws are written and there's nothing unethical about what you're doing, I mean, I, I believe that the pastor is justified in doing what he did because of these racketeering laws that are horribly unjust and unfair. But in the case of Raphael Warnock, it's a little more interesting because in addition to his compensation from the U.S. Senate, um, the Senate has rules as to how much you can make outside of that and not have to, um, you know, be under any kind of federal scrutiny. The cap on outside income is $30,000 a year. The amount of money that Senator Warnock received in compensation in 2022 was $154,895. In other words, it was his full-time pay. So what happens? The outside income for senators is around $30,000. Senator Warnock, also Pastor Warnock, received $154,895. 
So what's the solution? Well, apparently, the Washington Free Beacon is reporting that what Senator Warnock did was he claimed that $125,000 of his pay from the church was listed as, quote, deferred compensation for services rendered before January 20th, 2021, end quote. In other words, if the max you could make is around 30000 and he made 125000 in pay from the church that was deferred, that he apparently was promised to be paid and wasn't paid, and he earned all of it before President Biden was inaugurated, then it's okay. And he just barely makes it under the 30000 Now, I've got a couple, I mean, as a former accounting guy, I would never call myself an accountant, never took the CPA exam. Uh, but I, I, I do know a couple things about, you know, the way accounting used to be for taxes and things of that nature. But a couple things here. First and foremost, the fact that Senator Warnock's team are claiming that yeah, he earned 184 or 154,895 from the church, but 125 of that was deferred pay, and it was for compensation that was uh, for services that rendered before January 20th, 2021. Now, I would have to go back and check the record, but last time I checked, um, the Congress, remember the big January 6th uprising, the Congress, House and Senate were sworn in on January 4th, 2021. So to pick the day that Joe Biden was sworn in as president, January 20th, 2021, as the day saying, well, he earned all that before the president came in, kind of misses the point. And we'll take a quick commercial break and when we come back, I'll, I'll have that verification for you. But secondly, the idea that it would just fall under the radar, you know, the Oh, well, here's 125000 and yeah, yeah, we, we paid him that this year, but that was deferred compensation. If it were deferred compensation, and he's not working full-time at the church anymore, why would they pick that arbitrary of a number, that random of a date, randomly specific, and then try to pass it off on his taxes this year and say, no, no, it's okay, it, it's fine. It, it really, it's all good. It's all above board. Let's take a look at the math, walk it through, and ask the question, how could Pastor Senator Raphael Warnock have done this differently so as not to raise suspicion? We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial. 
and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and I want to offer a word of clarification here on something I said in the last segment. Uh, Super Tuesday for... uh, version of the program this week, focusing on Raphael Warnock, the senator from Georgia, who also is the uh, pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church. He began working as senior pastor there in 2005. He has continued in a part-time role since he became um, the senator from Georgia. His arrangement with the church uh, became the centerpiece, of course, from the, uh, uh, the Herschel Walker campaign in 2022. But remember in 2020, he was running for the, uh, the runoff seat. And I mentioned before the break that it was rather peculiar that they used January 20th, 2021 as the date for the deferred, uh, the deferred payment uh, date of income earned while he was uh, pastor at Ebenezer Baptist. But to be clear, there were three senators actually who were sworn in um, on January 20th. Um, and that was uh, Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff, who had won their uh, runoff elections in uh, the state of Georgia. And then Alex Padilla of California, um, who was sworn in to fill Kamala Harris's spot since she had been a senator. And then, of course, she won the vice presidential nod along with Joe Biden's presidency. So to be fair, the January 20th, 2021 date was accurate for them to use. But the question is, I mean, why... You've got the Ebenezer Building Foundation failing to register as a charitable organization in the States. Um, Then you've got the pastor basically using this kind of funky math to um, uh, to, to operate the way they do. And, And what makes the Raphael Warnock case even more interesting is the fact that he actually uses the pastoral housing allowance exemption to cover his housing. Now, most senators and congresspeople will maintain a home, obviously, where they live in their state, but they'll also have a residence that they take care of at, uh, you know, on or around 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Raphael Warnock claims, if you're ready for this, a housing allowance of $7,417 per month. He works part-time now as senior pastor at Ebenezer Baptist Church and can't legally make more than $30,000 per year in outside income. So someone's trying to cook the books a little bit and make it more plausible for them to have this situation. All I have to say about this, quite frankly, is I think something that we're going to see happen more and more in the culture right now. And that is, I've said it before, the wheat and the tares are growing up together the wheat and the weeds and getting to the point where Jesus said, look, here's the deal. We're going to harvest all of it together, then separate the wheat from the weeds. We're going to burn the weeds and harvest the wheat. We're seeing this happen right now. And again, I'm not insinuating that Raphael Warnock is evil or, or, you know, doing anything horribly dishonest, but it just is not a good look for a man of faith and a man of the cloth to have this type of scrutiny following him. But you might say, well, this is unjust and it's unfair because he's African-American and, you know, Christians should be rallying around him. Well, this is also a guy who is passionately supporting abortion rights and extending the opportunity for the, you know, the murder of the innocents in the womb. To have 
a, a, an organization like this that isn't working to try to be way above board on these types of issues, I think is irresponsible. And it's disappointing to me as a Christian, as a pastor, as somebody who's in the public eye to say, hey, why aren't you paying closer attention to this? I mean, the fact that you just tried to drop in an extra $125,000 in compensation, claim it was deferred, so you're reporting it, but it really happened a couple of years ago. Wouldn't that be a separate filing? And why all of this right now? Do you really need a $7,500 a month housing allowance? When you consider that the Ebenezer uh, Foundation that your church runs sponsors low-income housing for the poor and unfortunate or less fortunate. I mean, this is one of those cases where, again, ultimately God knows the hearts of people. And I understand that. And I know you do too. But as we get into this election season a little deeper, I want to challenge us to be wise as serpents and meek as doves when it comes to the people who profess faith in Christ. Oh, we have to vote for Raphael Warnock. He's a pastor. Actually, I think Maybe the opposite is true. Not that we should have been voting for this guy and supporting this guy, but how about taking a look at you know what he's doing rather than listening to what he's saying, though what he's saying doesn't always, I think, bring glory to God either. And ask the question, as Christians, how can we make sure that our witness is so rock solid that if someone is coming after us, it's for all the right reasons? Having someone challenge you on income and this, that, and the other thing and not having an answer for it, I think is the wrong reason. It's the wrong way to handle it. There's a better way. And the better way is look at the rules. These rules are not unjust. These rules apply to everyone who runs for the House and the Senate. And if anybody should be a stellar uh, example of how to play by those rules, I think it should be a pastor who has run for and been elected to the United States Senate. Father, give us discernment this election season. As we think about the people, the men and women who you are calling to run for office, we, we encourage them, we support them, and we pray good and godly outcomes for their elections. But for those who are using your name as a campaign pitch, Father, I pray that you would keep them from doing serious harm and give us the wisdom to stay out of the way of that moving vehicle lest we get hit and knocked over. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. That is good news, and that's the bottom line.